I'm Emma. I'm Shannon. And welcome to This Podcast Doesn't Exist. We know our names. I just, for a moment, I was like, well, especially after last week's episode, I was like, "Ah, okay, is it me? Do I, do I start? Okay, do I? Am I the drama? Am I the host? What's happening? Am I the host? Am I the mongoose? Um, (laughs) If you don't understand that reference, you should go back into our archive archive of episodes which you can find at this podcast doesn't exist.com and also find all of our socials our bingo card that you can pull out and play which is always fun i understand a lot of people especially my sister-in-law <laughs> hi cat uh, she's like i really wish i could play the bingo card but i always listen when i'm driving totally fine totally fair i give you full permission to just yell bingo at whatever point you think you will have gotten it great <laughs> We love that self-affirmation. Yes. You can do it. I believe in you. And I will not count that as cheating. Think, yeah, see, perfect. See, so, you have you have both of our permission. It's the best of both worlds. Oh, Miley. So I, good. I am honestly here for her evolution. Every time she Truly. pops up on my For You page, I'm like, you go, queen. She found, she found her sound. She found her niche. She seems very happy. And I'm happy for her. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, we're not a pop culture podcast. You contrary, <laughs> contrary. last week. <laughs> <laughs> we, we are two best friends who talk about all kinds of mysteries, anything unsolved. We like all the spook. Well, I like all the spooky. Shannon is a not a fan. I just. I keep trying to convert you. <laughs> I. I, the last one I was kind of on board with. That's true. That one also I knew wasn't going to scare you either. Yeah. So because it was more historical. Yeah. I feel like that's where that's where the where I draw the line. Like if it's spooky and old timey, I feel far enough removed that I'm not concerned that that's going to happen to me because I have a cell phone or whatever. But when it's like, oh, I bought this terrifying thing off eBay. I'm yeah. Like, yeah. Ah, Too eh. close. I like thrifting too much. (laughs) Oh my gosh, you guys. As I sit here in my thrifted sweater. Oh, yeah. But our friend of the podcast, Haley, Uh. has been going on some thrifting adventures that honestly has me terrified for them. I don't like it when you and Haley and Ruth... I feel like you all team up and conspire against me to just put the creepiest stuff in the group chat. I have never done that to you. I have never put anything in the group chat to creep well, you yeah, out. You're not you're not in the group chat, but you're like doing it on the podcast <laughs> and encouraging the behavior. You're modeling the behavior for the pod fiends. And then they think it's fun and dandy. And, and, and half the time it's at like three in the morning. That's when they're because awake. Because Haley's in California. But I like roll over. You know, you'll roll over and like glance at your phone for a second to be like, oh, how much time do I and have then before a, my alarm? And there's like three so- Cupid dolls lined up like, in a row staring at the camera to which Haley has captioned, which one are you? Also, the fact that Haley posed the creepy dolls. I know. I knew. I knew that they had done that, and I still was like, "This is." I hope Haley let us know because I didn't ask the question. Did you leave them like that? I want to know, friends. If you would like to see said photo, I will. It it might be a a meme Monday in the future. (laughs) I will will make sure that it gets posted for a meme Monday. If I have to do it, I will. I will do it. I'll do it for the content. Thanks, man. I appreciate you. All right. Well, you can be you can rest assured that today I'm not going to scare you. Oh. Intentionally. Like I I I, yeah, should, I shouldn't make those promises. And then you'll be like, and then this man disappeared in a cave. And I'm like, ah. <laughs> yeah. No. I Oh, oh, Shannon just <laughs> waved both hands at me very excitedly. Emma, I, can I inform the listeners? Yes. Oh my goodness, of yes. News? It's officially Mount Everest season. She's so excited, you guys. I'm following a couple people on Instagram that are trying to climb the mountain. And yep, that's it. Happy, happy season. (laughs) Hope it's a safe one. I was literally finishing my research and Shannon was like, can I, can I interrupt you for a second? It's Mount Everest season again. (laughs) Just, just so you're aware. Uh, So yes, that was good. Okay, yes, but, but you're not going to scare me. I will not intentionally scare you. If I do end up scaring you, I am blanket sorry. It has nothing to do with the story. 
Um, in fact, I think you might like this, but I have a question for you before we begin. Oh. If anything were a crime, what would you be a repeat offender of? <laughs> Her eyes got so big, you guys. I feel like I can very comfortably say that I would be life in prison if buying more books before you read the books you already own was against the law. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, We'd be cellmates. Yeah, we would. Because I still haven't unpacked all of my boxes of books from when we moved, and I may have already asked for some books from the library. That's different, though, because you're going to give them back. Am I? No, I'm kidding. I mean, I I, they're all I ebooks. So. I have to. They take oh. them from me. So I was like, I hope, I hope you do. No, but I got like I got some really good book recommendations from one of our friends or from one of my friends, and I just assume everyone who is my friend is also your friend. I guess, but I mean, you don't. You how, genuinely don't know this person. That is how I usually make friends as an adult. I just mooch friends off of other people. I mean, hi Nisha. Hey, what's up, man? <laughs> Hey guys! Oh, Andrea is running or ran the Boston Marathon today. Oh, casual, right? She's bomb. Congratulations, you did it! I'm so proud of you. Woo! Anyway, I don't know what mine would be, but I think that it would be something to the effect of like not putting dishes directly into the dishwasher when Correct. it's <laughs> when it's yes. empty. <laughs> that would be your offense. Put her. Straight to jail. Straight to jail. Believe it or not, straight to jail. Both you and Clement would do that to me. They would be, both of you would be like, oh, no, that is your crime. That That is it. Now that you say it, yes. Yes. 100%. 100%. We'll have a mug in her hand. We'll be standing next to the dishwasher that is empty or just has space and dirty dishes. We'll put the mug in the sink and walk away. <laughs> I, ooh. I'll do it later. I will do it later. Things I don't miss about living with you. <laughs> Rage. Well, I don't think either of these things will actually get us imprisoned. I hope not. But if there were a prison to go to, I think Alcatraz would be fun. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. So we're headed to Alcatraz in 1962. So let's paddle our way over. Let's get over there. I only doggy paddle. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I got that. I honestly best Atlantis line you could ever. Yes, Atlantis. The Princess Bride. I only dog paddle. Oh my gosh, they both make that. <gasps> Dude, no, they both make that reference. Who? Who? Oh, the guy with the mustache. Yes. Okay. Well, my best came first. best movie connection <laughs> ever. We're not a pop culture podcast, except when we are. Best movie connection ever. That makes me so happy. Okay, sorry. Fangirl, <laughs> over. So let's head to, instead, let me say, welcome to The Rock. <laughs> if you all get that reference, you can click that off your bingo. You're cool. So Alcatraz Island, 1.5 miles or 2 kilometers off the coast of San Francisco, California, is about 22 acres of almost all rock which is where it gets its nickname, The Rock. Not Dwayne. <laughs> I was going to say, not yeah. to be confused. Who will not be returning for the 10th Fast and Furious movie. Oh, no. However, Brie Larson, Captain Marvel, she's in it. Oh. Which I don't understand it, but I'm not mad about it. I knew you wouldn't be. No. In 1775, the island was named Isla de los Alcatraces, or the Isle of the Pelicans, because it was inhabited by seabirds of many kinds. And it was named this by Spanish Lieutenant Juan Manuel de Ayala. When the island was sold to the U.S. government in 1849, so it was like a very long time before it became part of the U.S., Alcatraz was actually the first site of a lighthouse on the coast of California. Buildings were erected to house the first permanent army detachment in 1859 on the island, but by 1861, the buildings became the residence of military offenders. By 1907, the island was officially designated as the United States Military Prison. As a, not the. <laughs> the United States Military Prison. Like, That's quite the commute. Yeah. Some of the earliest prisoners housed there 
were 19 Hopi Native Americans from the Arizona Territory who had passively resisted attempts to assimilate them, as well as some American soldiers who had been fighting in the Philippines but joined the Filipino cause in 1900 during the American-Philippine War. No more than 250 inmates ever occupied the island prison at one time, even though the modern prison building, completed in 1911, could comfortably house 450 people. So it was like, it's a huge place, but there were entire cell blocks that were basically never touched. So Mm, that's creepy. Yeah, there is an episode of Ghost Adventures. um, Of course there is. And they talk. Bagans. Yeah. And they talk to a couple people, but I didn't include it in this because it's not pertinent. So Mm. you're welcome. (laughs) From 1934 to 1963, Alcatraz Island was the prison we know it as now home to some of the most dangerous civilian criminals sent there to ensure they couldn't escape from the inescapable prison. Among all right, all right. Azkaban. Right? Azkaban. Alcatraz. Ah. Did you just realize that? No, okay. but I like I, I I just I don't know. I, I liked saying it for some reason. Okay. I needed to I needed the feeling of it in my mouth. Among these criminals were some famous faces, including the Birdman of Alcatraz, Robert Stroud, George Machine Gun Kelly, not the one marrying Megan Fox, <laughs> and Al Capone, who was the one the one uh, ghost or person that Ghost Adventures talked to through a spirit box. Oh, and he was like, my taxes. <laughs> I don't remember what he said. Steve. I, <laughs> Steve. Some men did happen to escape the inescapable, but it is contested as to whether or not they made it out alive. Mm-hmm. So we're going to talk about some men who we don't know where they is right now, but they made it out of Alcatraz. So we've got four four guys. One, Frank Morris, inmate number AZ1441. He was a D.C. native, born on September 1st, 1926, and abandoned by his parents 11 years later. Hmm. He bounced from foster home to foster home, eventually was convicted of his first criminal offense at 13 years old. Most of his young adult life was spent in jail for crimes such as narcotics possession and armed robbery. He was serving 10 years for bank robbery in the Louisiana State... Uh, Louisiana State... <laughs> in the Louisiana State Prison when he managed to escape. He was recaptured a year later for a burglary and sent to Alcatraz since he had escaped once on January 20th, 1960. Morris was also reported to have an IQ of 133, which was in the top 2% of the general prison population at the time. At this point, sorry. He's not a child anymore, right? No, he's like... (laughs) No, so he was like... He was in his, like, late 30s at this point. Mid-late 30s. Gotcha. Inmates AZ1476 and AZ1485 were brothers John and Clarence Anglin, respectively. Born a year apart, both in May, John in 1930, Clarence in 1931, the boys were two of 13 children. Just Clarence. Clarence. You don't hear Clarence very often. This man is very pretty. His mugshot, I was like, oh... You're cute. He's on the, um, what's, uh, is it an Instagram or like a Tumblr page of like historical. Historical crushes? hotties. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Objectively, Objectively, very, very pretty, very pretty boy. Their parents were seasonal farm workers from Georgia who in the early 1940s moved their massive family to Ruskin, Florida, where there were tomato fields and other farms that provided more reliable income. Every June, they would all migrate as far north as Michigan to pick cherries. John and Clarence were inseparable as children and were known to be very skilled swimmers, and even would scare their parents and impress their siblings by swimming in the near-frozen water of Lake Michigan with ice still on the surface. Mm -hmm. I would have been so angry as a mom. I would have been like, yay, I'm so happy that you were able to accomplish this wonderful feat of human athleticism. However... You do this again, I kill you. Before before you die in the, in the icy cold, I kill you. As teenagers, the boys were already getting into trouble, with Clarence getting caught breaking into a service station when he was 14. 
Eventually, the pair decided to team up and rob banks and other places in the 1950s, specifically targeting businesses after hours so that no one was injured. In 1958, John, Clarence, and their older brother Alfred robbed the Columbia Savings Bank building in Columbia, Alabama with a gun. A toy gun. They got away with quite a bit of cash, but were quickly caught. All men received 35 years in prison, which they were to serve in various prisons in Florida and Georgia. Both John and Clarence made several attempts to escape each prison, twice each from a chain gang, which I'm surprised they didn't get shot. Um, and eventually were sent to Alcatraz, John in October of 1960, and Clarence in January of 1961. Lastly was Alan West from New York City. He was arrested over 20 times throughout his life. In 1955, he was imprisoned for car theft. When he attempted to escape from Florida State Prison, West was sent to Alcatraz in 1957 as inmate AZ-1335. All four men knew each other from the Florida and Georgia prison systems and were weirdly assigned adjacent cells in December of 1961. Hmm. Isn't that weird? But I also think it has to do with the fact that because Alcatraz was so large and they didn't have that much of a population that they were literally just using like maybe a handful of cell blocks Mm -hmm. and it just so happened they were probably like well we'll put the brothers together because we know that they're not gonna you know they'll be fine Mm -hmm. and then they just ended up putting these randomly putting these guys in because uh alan west had already been there for like two years before the other three came i will say sort of related Mm -hmm. maybe it'll be more relevant later to what you're talking about but like architecturally the design of prisons is kind of fascinating Ooh, we had to tell read, me well i had to read a bunch about it in my history of sweetbriar class like architecture of sweetbriar because a lot of early colleges utilized similar tactics in their like building their dorms and things oh my god you guys i am shocked <laughs> Are you saying that we lived in essentially a prison? I mean, no, but the the concept of surveillance, very interesting. So if you compare, like, dormitories at Yale or Harvard, like, colleges, universities that were founded when only men were in attendance, a lot of those dormitories will have staircases on either side, so, like, a lot more access. But then if you look at women's colleges that you know from like the first wave most of their dormitories have one central staircase because then the house matron or you know whatever the title was could observe the comings and goings even at Sweetbriar like those front rooms that are now just like lounges which at least when we went there nobody used because absolutely well we all had televisions or like computers to stream from we did use it once to stage our fight choreography yeah we did yes because we we knew no one was going to be yeah exactly but back in the day from when sweetbriar was founded in 1901 all the way up through like i don't know the 50s or something Mm -hmm. i don't know probably not as strict once you got to like the 40s and the 50s but you if you had a gentleman caller they would meet you in the parlor Mm -hmm. and someone would be there to like very bridgerton vibes like chaperone situation yep. and it was in the student handbook like a, like the protocols for when you were allowed to like see gentlemen i love that oh yeah that class was fascinating so much i took it once yes and then i was a ta so i got paid essentially to take the class again because i still had to like skim the reading so i could help the conversation because there were only like four first years in that class but it was a fun time i really wish that i had taken either that class or something like a lot like alongside that kind of like very specific history Mm -hmm. because I feel like so I have a minor in history which doesn't count for anything at this point because it was just it was I racked them up when I was in college those classes but like I took very broad because I had to in order to get the minor Mm -hmm. the very broad classes that were like spanning certain time periods I feel like I would have so enjoyed having like a very specific either place or like type of people or you know something like that where I'd be able to like pinpoint Mm. oh this is why that is the coolest bit that's the coolest tidbit about prisons that I've ever heard yeah 
I, Sweetbriar's not really a good example, but certain other buildings, like, oh, what do we, what is the phrase for it? It's called the panopticon is usually what have, what gets used in prisons, which is this idea of the central tower where you can see out, but you cannot see in. Mm -hmm. So there's this expectation that you are always being observed. And so that, that kind of concept in different ways gets utilized when you look at like school architecture obviously there isn't just like a tower in the middle of it's terrifying places, but you know this idea of like the house matron or yeah sort of thing fascinating yeah it was dope we got to go in the attics of a bunch of buildings and like mm-hmm. i wrote a 10 page paper about babcock the theater building mm-hmm. so i got to learn a bunch of weird like, i love it stuff i love it yeah it was a fun time that's the stuff i miss about school not the writing papers part, but just the learning cool stuff and talking about it. Yeah, I wish I could audit a like an in-person college class and not have to do any of the work. Right. You're like, I skimmed the reading enough to, to have a lively discussion. Like, I'm just here to enjoy myself. I'm just here for the vibes. <laughs> I'm just here for the vibes. Like, when I saw um, – when Clement and I went back to visit my family in Williamsburg, and it was like – so, like, William & Mary is there – and we went to a coffee shop to get coffee and there were like all these students just like having study like study hall situations with their friends or like there was this one girl with, like headphones over her hijab like head down on her computer covered in stickers and like coffee or chai or whatever she had like in a you know adorable little mug that she had brought with her and she was like typing away and I at that moment, I was like, my heartstrings are so pulled. And I turned to Clement and I was like, I want to go back to school so bad, but I don't want to go back to school. I just want the vibes. I just want the vibes. Like, I wanted to go sit with that girl and be like, can I just like hang? Can we just hang? So what I'm hearing, Emma, is that you and I need to start, you know how they have like, summer camp for grown-ups where you go yes. and you canoe and all that absolutely gross nonsense yes stuff. we just want like <laughs> we want academia camp for grown-ups what's going to happen is that andrea and nisha are going to be like yes let's do grown-up camp for for adults i'm like great bye we'll see you later Have shannon fun. and i are going to a sub a summer semester at like harvard or something uh, where we have like peak academia vibes literally uh, the amount of uh, yeah the amount of nostalgia that i have for academia minus the like minus the crying on the floor about my <laughs> assignments right like Minus the mental breakdowns, but the fact that you could just, like, open your door and, like, yell down the hall and people would be like, yeah, I'll come to dinner or whatever. Like, uh, if I had the chance to never been kissed, Drew, Bar- like, Drew Barrymore situation, but for college, in a heartbeat, I would Absolutely. I would Me too. If someone was paying for it, obviously. Oh, but. yeah. And if I didn't have to do any of the, like, hard work. Yeah, if there was, like, an understanding. <laughs> An understanding of like, hey, um, I'm just here to vibe. I'm just here. Anyway, we don't have to go back to that dark time. No, anyway, prison, we don't. college, college can feel like prison. We don't have to isn't. go back to that dark time. Prison. <laughs> yeah, uh, but it was dark times for these these boys who yes men boys who men were boys. reunited at the old Azcatrazzi and <laughs> That's the name of their trap album. <laughs> like the ye old as Catrazzi. Not ye old. You said ye old. The old. Oh. Not ye old. This isn't a Renaissance fair. I mean, technically, the way that's spelled anyway. So I know, the but, old, but, but the modern connotation I of know. ye. Yeet! Without the sound, Yeah, I was like, <laughs> that makes it sound like you said yeet. I did not. Anyway. Back to these boys living next door. They got to talking. They opened their doors metaphorically and, you know, yelled down the hall of like, what you doing? Where you at? You got plans? <laughs> you been where? With who? We are not people. We are just a pile of internet references wearing a trench coat. That's what we are doing. Pile of hams. <laughs> I'm 
sorry, what? Do you not remember that TikTok? There was this girl that would go through this entire, like, storyline, and she'd be like, and she'd be laughing the entire time of telling you the situation where there was someone in a trench coat, like, having a conversation, cackling to herself the entire time, and then at the very end of the TikTok always goes, and it turns out, open the coat, pile of hams. I have a vague recollection. That feels like 2020 TikTok. It was. <laughs> TikTok years is 50 years ago. You're not wrong, but it is imprinted on my brain. <laughs> All right. Anyway, these boys, they're talking to each other. They're, they're, they're men. They're men. They're hanging out. They're boys to men. Boys to, <laughs> stop. <laughs> I have to get through this sentence. <laughs> You're on like page one of your notes. I, I'm on, luck, no, I'm on the very beginning of page three. Oh, all right. I, I made it through, because we made it through all of the history of Alcatraz fairly. Yes, that's before I started chiming in with my charming commentary. Hey, I'm really happy to know about the way that colleges are set yeah, up. Yeah, think about your dorms that you lived in, in I college, am now. And now think about some stuff. Kind of a little scary, but like it makes sense as to why they're built that way. Yeah. So, they talk in. Under Frank Morris's leadership, an escape plan took shape, and over the next six months, they worked tirelessly on their project. Each cell had a ventilation duct under the sink, which the men widened with discarded saw blades found on the grounds, metal spoons, and an electric drill that one of them improvised from the motor of a vacuum cleaner. I know. They're like... Here, have a Swiffer. Your your cell is looking pretty dirty. Well, I wonder if it was like, I'm sure that there's some kind of like rotation of chores or whatever. Yeah. And I'm sure at some point they had access to It's always the, the laundry room. Yeah. There's something that people can cobble together. Yeah. So they widened these holes until they were big enough to get through, concealing them with painted cardboard, clothes, and blankets when they weren't working. They also covered up the sound of them working on widening the holes with Morris's accordion playing during music hour, where every night the prison piped in music and allowed the prisoners to play instruments for their enrichment. I just, the cacophonous sound in a cinder block prison with an accordion. A bunch of people playing all different things. I think I would, I'd be like, put me in solitary, please. This is too much for my brain. I can't, I cannot. I need silence to every night for an hour. Insane. Or, or they could have been really coordinated and sounded like a great band. You don't know. Honestly, if that's the truth, I, that's beautiful and a movie, a movie worthy moment. And I want, I want that. However. No, it's probably Soup's Creepy. Yeah, I know. That's, but like an almost empty prison, like Like cinder block. Yes. Like. And an accordion. An accordion is like one of the creepiest, or can be one of the creepiest sounding things. Yeah, if you do it slowly. Mm-hmm. Versus like a polka, like buddy, boop, boop, dee, yeah. dee, dee. Through these ducts, ducts. Quack. Through these ducts, the men could access the utility corridor directly behind their cells, which was unguarded, and climbed the vacant top level of the cell block to set up a workshop. So they could climb up to the next cell block up mm-hmm. and because it wasn't in use because there weren't that many prisoners they could do whatever they wanted mm. this workshop was where they made life preservers from a design found in popular mechanics using over 50 raincoats as well as other stolen and donated materials they also managed to make a rubber raft of about 6 by 14 feet they stitched it together by hand and sealed the seams with heat from the steam pipes they worked next to which, ingenious. Mm-hmm. To ensure a clean getaway, the men also climbed a ventilation shaft to the roof to remove the rivets holding a fan in place so they would get through a f- the fan at the very top of mm-hmm. the ventilation shaft in order to get out. But wouldn't they be found out when the guards came by to check the inmates in their cells and there were no inmates? Well, they thought of that too. The men had each made a head for themselves out of a mix of soap toothpaste, concrete dust, and toilet paper, and painted them with paint from the maintenance shop and attached hair from the barbershop floor. Wow. Great. They could pile up blankets, towels, and clothes under the covers and place their dummy heads on the pillow to make it look like they were sleeping from the guard's vantage point. 
So, like, the guards aren't, like, reaching in and touching your head in the middle of the night. They're just checking to make sure that there's a body in the bed. And from their vantage point, there's a body in the bed. After six months of hard work, they were ready. On June 11, 1962, after lights out, the men put their plan into action. They opened their grates and shimmied through, leaving their dummy heads in bed in their place. Everyone, that is, except for Alan West. Alan tried to open his vent and realized that the cement that he had used to reinforce the concrete around the hole he had made in the wall had hardened and made it impossible for him either to get the grate out or get through. By the time he had made the hole large enough with his tools, the other three men had already put their plan into full gear and were gone. So Wes just went back to bed. And that's so disappointing. After working for six months towards this end and you're just like i guess i just have to go back to bed now what do i do i just go back to bed (laughs) yeah yeah but nope (laughs) he can't do anything i mean at least go up on the roof and like look at the stars or something right and then go back maybe i don't i i feel like at that point he was just like whatever (laughs) just like i guess i'll just stay here I mean, at least there's music hour. <laughs> Cacophonous music hour. I don't know. Maybe there were other enrichment things. Probably. I don't know. I feel like I, 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 it could go one of two ways. I'm like, old-timey prison could be way, 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 way worse. Or could be, like, slightly not terrible. Like, I don't know. Like, you're still in prison, but... You know, I think too because there weren't that many prisoners in Alcatraz at that point, they probably didn't feel like they were on top of it. like they didn't feel crowded or anything, yeah. which was an, a major issue and still is a major issue for most prisons. Mm. So that might have had something to do with it. Maybe. The other three men got out of the service corridor and climbed the ventilation shaft to the roof. Wait, sorry, interjection. Absolutely. Were all of these single cells or yes okay yeah there were no like what about their roommates no no none of them had roommates um they were all single and i think that that's mostly because they one space they had it but two most of these criminals were also like the top level criminals um and this is towards the very end of alcatraz being a like civilian prison before it became a tourist attraction basically Mm -hmm. which how weird I know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like, there's a part of me where I'm like, okay, yeah, I'm glad that it's not in use anymore, but, right. like, mm. It's like that line of, like, it's not old enough to be history. Like, Yeah, it that, doesn't like, feel like we that. We go to the Tower of London and we're like, oh, old tiny blah 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 happened here. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, I know, I know like, what you mean. Oh, it's just so yeah there's a there's a line there that i'm not quite sure where to mark it but there's a part of me that doesn't want to cross it like i yeah anyway these other three men got out of the service corridor and climbed the ventilation shaft to the roof as they broke out of the shaft there was a loud crash which the guards below heard but didn't feel the need to investigate when they heard nothing else Eh, it's fine yep The three men took their gear and slid down a kitchen vent pipe 50 feet to the ground and then climbed two 12-foot barbed wire fences that lined the perimeter. Turns out there was a blind spot on the island that the searchlights and gun towers couldn't see at the northeast shore. It was here that the inmates inflated their raft with a concertina, which is kind of like an accordion, um, that they had (laughs) modified to work as a bellows. I'm sure it didn't, but I'm just picturing it making noise. Yeah, it did too. Like, <laughs> the worst song Frank's ever. like, oh my god, Claire, the it's song, shush. The song of freedom. <laughs> You're welcome, everybody. Good morning, good evening, whatever time it is. Good morning, good evening, good night. Their goal was to get to nearby Angel Island, which is about two miles north of Alcatraz. And two miles by a tiny raft is a lot. In a big old ocean. Yeah. Or a bay. Or bay into the, but currents that are throwing you into the ocean. It wasn't until the morning after that the men were discovered missing. 
The dummy heads had worked through the night, but when the guards came to see why the men weren't up and about in the morning, one of the heads was knocked over, cracking its nose on the ground. But can you imagine being that guard and being like, hey, hey, wake up. Hey, reach your hand in through the bars and like shake his head a little bit and it just goes flying. Like (laughs) my brain, I would have been like, no. Terrifying. They ha- they have all four of these heads on display in Alcatraz too, which I really th- those I want to see. Here is a quote from Mental Floss. Quote: Frustrated officials tried to profile the men involved and determined who may have been chiefly responsible. Morris is quiet and very intelligent, Fred Wilkinson, assistant director of the Federal Bureau of Prisons, told the Associated Press. He's not given to rash violence. Above all, he's a planner. The whole operation seems typical of him. Of the Anglins, Wilkinson was less complimentary. He said, They're more of the natively cunning side, throwbacks to the swamp country, more given to action, he said. Swamp country. All right. Yeah. Okay, classism. (laughs) Right. Immediately, the FBI and other military and law enforcement agencies started an extensive search in every way possible. Land, air, sea, over the next 10 days. It only took two days to find some evidence of the men's escape. On June 14th, the Coast Guard picked up one of the makeshift paddles floating around 200 yards off of Angel Island. The same day and in the same area, another boat found a wallet in plastic that contained the names, addresses, photos, and other defining items of the Anglin brothers' family. On June 21st, the raincoat material that had been used to make the raft was found in shreds on a beach near the Golden Gate Bridge, and one of the deflated life jackets they had made was found 50 yards off of Alcatraz, so like in the water. According to the FBI, this was the extent of the physical evidence found. No bodies, no sightings, no nothing. Because of this, the FBI concluded after the 10 days that the men had drowned and that, quote, the individual's personal effects were the only belongings they had and the men would have drowned before leaving them behind, end quote, which I am not inclined to believe at all. Yeah. I mean, it's sad to lose the names and addresses and photos of your family members. Right. However... You're out of you're out of prison. You're right. out of prison. Well, and you're you've proved ingenious enough to do all this. So, like, even if you didn't have belongings when you got to shore, you, yeah, it it feels to me like it, there wasn't any money in it. There wasn't yeah. anything that was like that seemed extremely personal, right? Yeah, to me, like if it were like dog tags or something like that, that would have been maybe a little bit different. Yeah, but like. I don't know. It seems to like that seems like a cop out for them to be like, oh, well, of course they drowned. They left their stuff. Well, and it's not like they found anything that was like super useful, right? Like, I could understand if like they had managed to get their hands on like a knife or a gun or like yeah. something that they would want to like fight to keep that. But yeah, it feels a little iffy to me. Can I ask a question? Absolutely, you may. Our friend that got left behind. Did he, did he, like, hide his fake head so he... No, he cracked open like a book. Oh. All right. <laughs> I feel like... Uh, but, like, think about it. If that were you, I would be, I would be like, hiding that thing so quick. I think for him, he was, like, what else are they going to do? They put me in Alcatraz. What are they going to do to me? I don't... I mean, but still, I feel like... Mm, I don't know. I mean... I can see him being, like, worried about it, of being like, oh, I don't want to associate myself with them, but... I feel like all the prison media that we see, it's, like, keep a low profile. Like, as low as possible. That's fair. But maybe he was mad that they left without Probably. him. And he was like, fine, get caught. Bring yeah. those suckers back. <laughs> yeah. Those bastards left me. And my accordion. <laughs> Well, it was Frank that was playing the accordion, but he was probably like, good riddance. (laughs) Bye. Bye. That was my plan all along. I just wanted you out of here. (laughs) The Bureau eventually conceded that it it could have been theoretically possible for the men to reach Angel Island, but they probably wouldn't have survived past that due to currents and temperatures. Because of his role after the fact, West was not charged for the escape, 
he didn't actually make it out and he cracked open like a book he did he was like i have nothing to lose at this point so another interesting quote from mental floss quote officials turned to the other incarcerated anglin brother alfred remember the one that they got that arrested with that also got 35 years who was housed in an Alabama facility to see if he knew anything. Oh, okay, got it. I thought you meant at Alcatraz. I was like, they left him? No. Rude. <laughs> that would have been quite the snub to be like, bye, bro. Bye. In what the Anglin family would later point out as suspicious, Alfred was said to have been electrocuted during an escape attempt that came just days before he was set to be paroled. The senselessness of such an act led some to believe Alfred may have been killed by officials badgering him about his brother's escape, end quote. Which, this led to them exhuming his body to mm. see if anything, like, if there was any kind of violence on him of, like, basically trying to beat answers mm-hmm. out of him. Nothing was found. Mm. It was electrocution because of him trying to escape, which feels like an overreaction in my mind if your brother's got to go to Alcatraz after escaping multiple times. And you're you're about to be paroled? Yep. Like, just, bro, just, just like, wait. ride it out, yeah. So, that is weird. Hmm. A year after the escape, Alcatraz was closed on March 21st, 1963. Alcatraz was very difficult and expensive to maintain as a prison, and so they closed it for cost purposes. Hmm. It is now a tourist attraction. Mm-hmm. It was also really difficult for them to get clean water in and wastewater out. So that was one of the main reasons where they were like, this is untenable. We well, like, can't keep resupplying this. resupplying and stuff. Like, if you Very had a really hard. bad storm or something and you can't get food or whatever out. Exactly. Really, really difficult. The FBI closed the case 17 years after it started in 1979, concluding what they had already determined early in the case as the correct answer, regardless of the fact that they had no bodies to confirm it. The evidence was handed over to the U.S. Marshals Service, who have the warrant open until 2030, when the missing men would all be at least 100 years old. Of course, we have to talk about a little bit of pop culture. Yeah, I've been waiting. Yeah. So, of course, there's a movie called Escape from Alcatraz from 1979, which starred Clint Eastwood as Frank Morris. There are a few other movies, too, and a book by the same name as the movie written in 1963 that documented the 1962 escape, but also the other escape attempts from the island prison. Because other people had attempted, but no one had been successful in either not dying or getting to land. Mm-hmm. So... That's kind of the extent of the pop culture. I mean, we all kind of know. I mean, I've I've heard this story before. I'm sure you've heard this isn't, at least um, basically. Isn't Shutter Island sort of like... I've never seen it. I haven't either because it seems really scary. Yeah. But similar vibes of like it's a prison on an island, island on island. a big old rock and yeah. Leonardo DiCaprio is here to solve a crime. But what <laughs> is happening... I don't know, because I stopped watching, because I got scared. I think he is actually in the prison, and it's not a prison, it's a mental hospital. Stop. Oh, my God. Sorry. I unintentionally scared you, and I wasn't even trying. But I, oh, God. That was weird. I, just the way that sensation just, like, sunk into my body. Oh, gosh. All right. I'm never going to watch it. Maybe I'll read the Wikipedia synopsis I'll read it, yeah. in the daytime. How about I read it and I tell you about it in the daytime? Okay, I'll text great. it to you. So great. if you decide to stop, you can. You can Marco Polo me or whatever. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we'll do that. Okay. Um, I'm sorry. <laughs> that was very unintentional. Yeah. <laughs> Unexpected. I didn't cry, though. So don't count that on your That's <laughs> That would be cheating. Yeah. And then the only other pop culture reference I have, I feel like you're probably going to talk about in the theory section. Didn't they do it on Mythbusters? Yes. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Correct. So let's get into those theories. What actually happened to these guys? Our first theory is that the men died in the San Francisco Bay. Even though it was June, the waters were frigid between the hours the men would have been in their raft. Their makeshift oars and paddles and raft inflated by a concertina holding three grown men already sounds like it wouldn't have made it 50 feet, let alone two miles, north to Angel Island. Like, well, especially if they were banking on having four people rowing. Right. And not three. 
In the FBI's final findings, 17 years after the case was begun, they posited that the raft broke and sank and the three men succumbed to hypothermia, their bodies left to be swept out into the Pacific Ocean by extreme currents of the bay, which is why we do not have their bodies. Can I tell you the funny mental image that popped into my head? Sure. Which probably, you know, what would not be funny because it's dark, it's cold, you're in the water, you're, you're fighting for your life. But we're, they're rowing. They're rowing. The raft is like deflating. So one of them's in the back with the Constantine. Near, 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 Trying to keep it inflated. Okay. You're not wrong. That is funny. Our second theory is that the men made it to land, but not necessarily their destination. In 2003, Mythbusters tested out if there was any feasibility to escaping the island with the tools that the men had and the conditions of the water, and they concluded that it was plausible. I remember that episode. That was fun. Yep. Similarly, in 2014, a study was conducted at Delft University in the Netherlands on ocean currents, specifically those that affected the bay on June 11th, 1962, at 11.30 p.m. Specifically and... Specifically. When I was a kid, I couldn't say specifically or specific. And I would only call, like, I would only say Pacific because I was, I just couldn't say it. Yeah. So that was a joke that I enjoyed. If the men left at this time, at 1130, the conditions of the water would have been good enough to get them to Horseshoe Bay, north of the Golden Gate Bridge, and the current would have taken any of their debris in the direction of Angel Island, where the paddle, scraps of the raft, and the Anglin family photos and identifications were found. If the men had left before or after that point, the statistics of survival were not good. The men may have also had some help. There was a San Francisco police officer named Robert Chechi, who reported that there was an illegal boat in the bay near Alcatraz at around 1 a.m. the morning the men escaped. A few minutes later, the boat left under the Golden Gate Bridge. The FBI didn't take this account seriously, and it was never followed up on. A former Alcatraz inmate, Thomas Kent, told America's Most Wanted in 1993 that he had actually been a fifth accomplice and planned the escape with the four other men. He claimed that Clarence Anglin had a girlfriend who had agreed to help the men once they got to shore and drive them to Mexico. The reason Kent decided not to go with them was because he couldn't swim. However, law enforcement was pretty skeptical of this account since Kent had been paid $2,000 for the interview. Get out of here. Yeah. There was another account in 1993 from John Leroy Kelly, who on his deathbed confessed to his nurse that he was involved with the escape. He claimed that he and a partner picked up the three men in a boat and brought them to the outskirts of Seattle. They planned on bringing them up to Canada. At least that's what they told them. Instead, they murdered the three men to get the $40,000 their family had collected for them to use. So their family had collected this money in order to be able to fund their escape Kelly claimed that the three escapees were buried somewhere outside of Seattle, but when authorities went to search, no human remains were found. He was like, it is at this spot that I buried them. And when they searched, there was nothing found. In 2011, an 89-year-old man named Bud Morris, claiming to be a cousin of Frank Morris, said that he had delivered envelopes to Alcatraz guards, which he assumed were money bribes, eight or nine times. He also claimed to have met his cousin a little while after the escape in a San Diego park and brought his nine-year-old daughter along. His daughter remembered the encounter and only knew the man as dad's friend Frank and didn't have any clue about the escape. The main crux of the issue with if the men made it to shore was that they had planned on stealing clothes and a car in order to make their way out of California. The FBI said there were no incident reports and no cars stolen in the area on the day in question, so the men must not have made it to shore. But here comes our third theory. They did make it to shore, and they made it out into the world. In 2011, there was a documentary that aired on National Geographic called Vanished from Alcatraz that gave evidence that discounted what the FBI had reported. 
They claimed that a raft was discovered on Angel Island the day after the escape with footsteps leading away from it. The same day, a 1955 blue Chevy was reported stolen in Marin County, which was corroborated by two local newspapers, the Humboldt Times and the San Francisco Examiner. On June 13, 1962, two days after the escape, a man in Stockton, California, 80 miles from San Francisco, reported to the highway patrol that he had been forced off the road by three men in a blue Chevy. In 2015, another documentary, this time from the History Channel, titled Alcatraz, Search for the Truth, brought forward all of the circumstantial evidence that the Anglin family had collected over the years. Postcards had been sent to the family members of the Anglin brothers. Most had no names attached, but one was signed Jerry, and another one was signed off with Jerry and Joe. The Christmas cards, which were sent the three years following the escape, were of particular interest, one of which was signed by John to his mother, and were confirmed to have the brothers' handwriting. The only issue was that there were no postmarks, so the authorities couldn't verify when the letters had been sent. Mm. One of John and Clarence's 11 other siblings, Robert, claimed that the phone would ring sometimes, and when picked up, all that was heard was heavy breathing. When asked, Robert said, quote, I suppose all could have been pranks, but maybe it was my brother's, end quote. Every Mother's Day after the escape, Mrs. Anglin received flowers anonymously. At her funeral in 1973, there were two women cited who were unusually tall and broad in very heavy makeup and ill-fitting clothes. Could it have been the boys? We don't know. Just the neighborhood drag queens coming. Uh, I would love that. I would love that if Mrs. Anglin was like, those are my ladies. My ladies. My girls. Robert, the same brother, who claimed that in, also claimed that in 1989, when Mr. Anglin, their father, died, two strangers arrived at the funeral in beards. Robert said, quote, they stood in front of the casket looking at the body a few minutes. They wept, then they walked out, end quote. I like that they dressed up for their mother's funeral, potentially, allegedly, um, but didn't for their dad's. They were like, he wouldn't, he wouldn't find this funny. <laughs> Never mind. Also, how broken is my brain? Because I was like, 1989. Oh my God. <laughs> I blame Steven. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> The family also had a story from a friend named Fred Brizzy, who grew up with the brothers and said that he recognized them when he was in Rio de Janeiro in 1975. Okay. Yeah. He traveled some with the brothers while there and took a photo of them, specifically one of them next to a large termite mound. Okay. Another photo was of a Brazilian farm that Brizzy said was owned by the two men. Forensic scientists that the family employed confirmed that the photos were taken in 1975 and said that the two men depicted were more than likely the brothers, but the age and condition of the photo and the fact that the men were wearing sunglasses and beards made it difficult to make a definitive conclusion. Mm. This photo will be in the carousel of photos for Instagram. There's some kind of comparison. Fo- I'll try and find it. There's a comparison photo of like their mug shots and which brother is which. I think it's plausible. I mean, I'm not a forensic scientist, but I'm like... What? <laughs> I know. I'm so sorry. I've lied to you this whole I've time. I've been duped. <laughs> Brizzy also gave a different story of how the men escaped Alcatraz. Instead of using the raft to cross the bay to Angel Island, they paddled it around to the boat dock, where they took an electrical cord, which was reported missing, from the dock that night and attached their raft to the rudder of the prison ferry that left the island right after midnight, towing them to the mainland. Hmm. Yeah. I was like, I did not even realize that there was a prison ferry. <laughs> I mean, I guess the guards have to commute. Go home, yeah. yeah. I just so. kind of assumed they would live out there. Like lighthouse people. Yeah, like, like lighthouse oh, you're guards. On, like a three-week rotation. Hmm. And you're in like a nicer setup in the prison. Maybe because it was a federal prison, they weren't able to do that unless you were, like, military. Like, if you're a civilian worker. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But my guess is that, yes, they were commuting via the prison ferry and 
their shift ended at midnight or something and then just such a weird phrase the prison fairy i know right (laughs) wings and everything the man who had once headed the marshall investigation u.s marshall investigation art roderick called brizzy's photo quote absolutely the best actionable lead we've had but it could still all be a nice story which isn't true end quote and it could be a way to steer investigation away from where the men actually were. Mm. However, Brizzy's own widow said that she had never heard him mention seeing the Anglin brothers and that he was a con man who made up stories constantly. And yet, in 2020, Irish AI specialists used facial recognition techniques to determine that the men in the photograph were more than likely John and Clarence Anglin. Mm. Oh, and remember Robert, their brother? Mm-hmm. Apparently, he had been in contact with the brothers from 1963 until around 1987, right before he died. He told everybody this right before he died in 2010. But there was nothing beyond that. He was like, I was in constant contact with them between that that, that time. I knew exactly where they were, but I'm not telling you. What a bro. Yeah. In 2018, the FBI finally confirmed the existence of a letter that John Anglin allegedly wrote to the San Francisco Police Department in 2013. The letter said that Frank Morris had passed away in 2008 and was buried in Alexandria, Virginia under a pseudonym. What? Yep. Clarence England had unfortunately passed away in 2011. Now that John was alone and had cancer, he hoped to negotiate his surrender so that he could receive medical treatment in prison. The letter was deemed to be inauthentic or at the very least inconclusively so. And was not acted upon, and no other contact was attempted. Wow. Can't believe Frank is neighbors with Theodosia Burr in Alexandria. Yep. Who knew? And that is the infamous escape from Alcatraz. Wow. What a wild ride in these frigid waters. Right? I truly think, especially based on the fact that as kids they would swim all the time in the yeah. cold like they definitely were fine At and least it those too yeah. yeah and in in the letter john wrote allegedly to the police department he was like this is what happened this is what we did all of this kind of i couldn't find a like actual transcript of it but the majority of it was basically saying yeah we escaped but barely they couldn't well i guess they wouldn't have any um any like dna on file i'm like no they couldn't do some analysis on this letter like no because he was whatever he was uh incarcerated in like 1950 something for the first time got it but yeah that was a fun one to do i really enjoyed it the entire time i was like is this the opposite of a heist (laughs) a jailbreak (laughs) like they're leaving rather than coming in yeah Maybe. But they don't stay in a heist. They get in, get out. I mean, yeah. Which I guess essentially is a jailbreak. You get in, you get out. Although, oh my goodness. Okay, so I've told you before that you need to read the, like, Grishaverse. Yes. Multiple Circe series. and all that, yeah. Not Circe. No? No. What are you talking about? Circe is a Madeline Miller novel. Oh, never mind. Um, I'm talking about Shadow and Bone. Yes, yes, yes. Is the I'm, first I'm back, I'm back. But then, and, like, they're fine, guys, y'all, friends. Um, Welcome to Former Bookseller Corner. You don't have to read them in order, but I recommend it. Just get through the first trilogy, Shadow and Bone, and it's, it it is what it is. But the real beautiful, juicy bits start with the Six of Crows, because that's a heist. And then the second book is, like, even better. Plot twists all the way down. Like, you think you understand what the plan is, and then, like, things appear to go wrong, and, like, maybe they did go wrong, maybe it was actually... Oh, gosh, it's just so good. (laughs) So, everybody should read them, and I won't bore you with my... (laughs) I was like, I could go into something, but I'm like, this isn't what you're here for. But if you have read any of the Grishaverse books by Lee Bardugo, please send us an email. Shannon wants to know. And then I'd have an excuse to talk about it. Yeah. But on that note, Emma, <gasps> it's time for a what? Mailbag moment. 
Roll the tape. Welcome back, friends. Today, hello, hello. Emma, I, this might be our first one. I don't know, but this email is from this year, twenty twenty two. I think it might be our second. Maybe. Yeah. I'm still proud of us. We. we I am proud through. of us. I will say we're reaching the bottom of the we're, mailbag. Reach, reaching the limit. We're starting to see the bag yep. through the letters. So. So if send you them have along. Any thoughts? Just send them our way. Alrighty. So this is another email from Allie, our new friend. Yay! Thanks to Haley and Ruth. Ruth. And the subject line is, momentarily blipped while driving. Emma's eyes just got huge, y'all. That's terrifying. We'll see. I know. Sorry. Continue. Hey, this is more just a really weird experience rather than a ghost encounter, but this happened back in high school. Please send us all of those. It was my senior year. This is proof that you are a California person. Ready? We were hanging out at In-N-Out with a couple of friends, <laughs> and I didn't have a ride back. So my friend offered to take me home. It was late, and both of us were pretty tired. So we stopped by a gas station to get some energy drinks. Totally understandable. Yeah. Me on every single road trip. Every out of single sheets. one. Monsters are always like two for four dollars. So. Mm-hmm. The trip, oh, okay. The trip should have only lasted five minutes max, but for some reason, we ended up back at my house at 2 a.m. <gasps> However, we stopped by the gas station at 11 p.m., and it was a 15 minute drive from my house. So I have no idea how that short trip turned into three hours. There's no memory of anything from 11.30 p.m. to 2 a.m. I just remember getting home to my dad yelling at me about why I wasn't answering my phone and why I was out so late. But I had no recollection of him calling me, yet sure enough, there were 13 missed calls, all from him and all from 12 to 2 a.m. It was just a really bizarre experience, and neither of us were under the influence or anything. Maybe the ener- <laughs> maybe the energy drinks were bad. Maybe I fell asleep while she got lost. Maybe there was a glitch in the matrix. I honestly have no idea what happened during those three hours, and even now, my friend is just as stumped as I. Allie. First thought, aliens. Second thought, glitch in the matrix. Third thought, time travel that you were used as a conduit for and then were sent back to your little spot. Oh. I am terrified, though. You want to know what that, even just the subject line, made me think of? Mm. Driving from Roanoke to Sweetbriar after we went to see Newsies on tour. Because your family drove you home to Williamsburg. I drove back by myself. That's right. And it's a two-lane road Mm -hmm. with these tall trees, like kind of white bark, or at least like in the light of my headlights. Whenever I drive in a situation like that, I am terrified. Not not terrified. I am paranoid to look at the trees. That's totally fair. You don't look at the trees. the regularity of them. Scary, creepy trees. Yeah. I just, I don't trust them. And that's, that's that. I, mm, as far as like w- the woods at night, I can't, like even thinking about it is terrifying. Yeah. Because like any little noise, I turn into Ryan Begara where I'm like, mm-hmm. I have my super soaker of holy water. Do not touch yeah. me. Mm-mm. Nope. But. Allie, thanks for sending that in. We appreciate it. As you could hear, folks, it was a short, sweet, still kind of spooky story. We'll take them all. Absolutely. We will take every single one of your stories. If you have any um, aspirations about climbing Everest, 
If you're climbing this season. Oh my God. What? Huh? No. <laughs> Shannon's no. going to cry. Stop it. I would freak out. Yeah, just. Anything. Anything. It doesn't even have to be spooky. Just if we talked about something and you have a story about it, if you've read those uh, the series of books, let us know. We just want to hear from you all. Yeah, and if you have any suggestions for um, podcast episodes, I have done a few. I think Shannon has technically done a few by accident. <laughs> I think, maybe, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, we we want honestly do our work for us, please. <laughs> That'd be great. <laughs> it makes our choice. Uh, for what we end up doing for episodes so much nicer but it's true we love you guys please remember that and remember this podcast doesn't exist i love that you whispered the whole thing you were like this podcast i don't really know why i did that That felt like that felt like we were getting chased through the house by a you're like this podcast